Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. In 2000, 1999-2000, the year I graduated, um, Garth Brooks stepped away from music. He stopped recording albums, he stopped touring. And this was quite a shock to the music industry, to country music, uh, primarily because at the time he had sold over 100 million albums in the United States alone. So he was uber famous, just, just out of this park, um, popular at the time. But the reason being, or the reason was that he wanted to step away from music and from touring in order to spend time with his daughters. He has three daughters, and so he wanted to raise them and help to raise them. And so he did that. I mean, if you sell 100 million albums, you can stop working anytime you want to. But he does that, and it speaks to the idea of his priorities, to step away from such fame and such notoriety to do something or anything would speak to the, the emphasis or the priority of that thing. In 2015, he returned and, and has been touring and making music ever since. I'm not saying that Garth is um, the model of family values, because we know he's not. But I am just saying and illustrating that fact that if you were to step away from something like that, the money and the notoriety and building the industry as much as you want to, then it would clearly say that whatever you stepped away for is more valuable. Already in Mark chapter one, Jesus is popular. He's extremely popular. People are flocking to see him. He is very clearly locally famous, not quite nationally famous yet, but everybody wants to be in and around Jesus. They wanna hear him preach. They wanna see maybe one of the miracles that he performs. But at this moment in Mark chapter one, verse 35 through 38, Jesus steps away from that for something else. And so the question is, what was that thing? Look at Mark chapter one. Verse 35 through 38, this is what the word of God says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying, Simon or Peter, and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, hey, everyone is looking for you. And he, Jesus said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Jesus steps away from popularity, from notoriety, from small town famous to pray. The thing that draws him away from what we would consider success and fame is prayer. I got a few thoughts on this passage and then we're gonna pick apart the passage a little bit. We'll put it back together at the end, don't worry. The first thing is this, that Mark is very clearly, and anytime you hear anybody talk about the gospel of Mark, you're gonna hear them say that the gospel moves very intentionally and quickly. He's always jumping from scene to scene to scene and Mark's emphasis is on action. He's always emphasizing what's happening in the story. In fact, up to this point, we've heard very little, if anything, from Jesus. We don't hear the words, we see the action. So it's interesting for us modern readers to read this portion and recognize that Mark is pausing the action, 
in order to tell us about Jesus praying. And the reason I point that out is because that's only the way that we perceive it. We think of prayer as inactivity. That's why people will make fun of the idea of thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers to so-and-so, the implication is that you're not actually doing anything, but according to scripture, prayer is an action. Jesus is pausing to pray, does not mean he's pausing from the action. Another interesting detail about prayer, especially in the gospel of Mark, is that there are three prayers of Jesus mentioned. There's this one. And then in chapter six, verse 45, Jesus has just uh, performed miracles all day long. He fed the 5,000. He's about to walk on water. He taught people um, all day long and into the night. And all of this was done after hearing about the death of his good friend and cousin, John the Baptist. So there is this emotional wreckage, this emotional weight, this spiritual uh, victory and mountaintop experiences. And the Bible says that Jesus withdrew from the crowd, withdrew from his disciples, sent them on ahead, and then by himself went into the mountains to pray. In chapter 14, very similar story. Jesus has had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He has had the Lord's Supper, what we now call the Lord's Supper. He's had that with his disciples, victory moments, great moments, spiritual high moments. And yet at the very same moment, one of his own, one of his disciples is betraying him and he knows it. So there's this emotional pull, there's this exhaustion from ministry. And the Bible says that Jesus told them, you guys stay here for a minute. And then he goes by himself and prays. All three stories are the same. Jesus retreats, withdraws, and he prays. And so there's things that we can learn from this. One, one other thing about Mark and prayer. In the gospel of Mark, there is no recording of the Lord's Supper, or not the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer. Y'all know that the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, that thing, that's not there. And it's fascinating because in the other gospels that comes, Jesus prays that, teaches that, when the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. It is a teaching moment. That's the passage in which we, the disciples, learn to pray. But here's my argument. I don't think we learn less about prayer simply because the Lord's Prayer is not in Mark. In fact, we're gonna learn a lot about prayer by watching him pray. We don't get to hear the prayer, but we see some things about prayer. This would be a good time, I think, for us to pause and pray. Y'all ready? Y'all pray with me. God, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to make much of you, to celebrate who you are. We pray now, God, that you would move in our hearts and our minds, that you'd give me clarity to speak, recall to my mind what it is that I've studied, and may it be in line and just and true to what it is that you intended when you had Mark. Write it down. God, open our minds and our hearts to change to grow, to mature, to be more like you in this community, in our homes, in every walk of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So what can we learn about prayer from watching Jesus do it? The first thing that we see is that Jesus had dedication. That he had dedication to the prayer. There in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way uh, to the deserted place. Mark uses 
two words that essentially means the same thing and then three verbs that essentially mean the same thing to emphasize the dedication to prayer that Jesus had. He said, early in the morning while it was still, it's the same thing, while it was still dark, this is the same thing, but Mark wants to emphasize the timing of the situation that Jesus is so dedicated to prayer that early in the morning he goes and prays. Now, nobody would have faulted Jesus for sleeping in that morning, right? Every now and then you have a late night and you sleep in. The story right before this is a story about Jesus. It says it didn't start until after sundown. After sundown, all of the town there at Capernaum came to Jesus and wanted him to heal them or to bless them, to preach and to teach. And this goes on way into the night, way into the early morning. I've often read this story to be like that story happens. And then Jesus and the others, they go off and they they go to bed, they go to sleep, you know. Jesus just finds some of the floor there in Peter's house there in Capernaum and and he goes to sleep. And then before the rooster crows, Jesus is awakened by his thoughts and by his heart. He tiptoes out of the house, grabs a cup of coffee, out into the, the middle of the deserted place and he prays. That's how I often read it. But I want to challenge that visual for you today. By just looking, just reading it, and the verbs that are mentioned there, it's also possible that Jesus was healing people and he's teaching. And the throngs of people were at the house and as he was teaching, he was healing. At some point, Jesus just gets up and walks away. Kind of like your grandpa does when guests are over and he's ready to go to bed. Jesus just gets up and walks away. And maybe they thought at first that he was, you know, just going to go to the restroom or he'll be back or something like that. But eventually he just doesn't come back. That's a possibility. Or it is possible that everybody went to sleep and he got up early and he tiptoed out of the house. Either of those are possible. But the emphasis here is that this is a, 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 a priority for Jesus. He's going to go and pray. Whether he walks away from the crowd or whether he gets up early, he's going to go and pray. The third, the three verbs there that he got up, went out and made his way. It all means the same thing. Mark could have very easily said early in the morning, Jesus went and prayed, but he doesn't. He uses a bunch of extra words and those aren't just filler words. It's not like he's writing a paper and he's got to get to a certain amount of words. He needs to emphasize something here. He's emphasizing the time and the effort, the energy that Jesus invested into this prayer because this isn't just something he does. This is what he does. Early in the morning, through effort, he goes to the deserted place. That's another picture, mind picture that I want to challenge. We often think when the Bible says wilderness, your translation might say wilderness, or deserted place, we, all, we often picture a desert, Right? Like Jesus is, is making his way across sand dunes and you've got the, the footprints, but the, the wind is blowing the footprints and just battering him and he's, he's all blown by the wind. He's out in the desert praying and then all of a sudden he shows back up in Israel, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what it means. It just means that he goes off away from everybody else. You could have a deserted place uh, somewhere on campus where you just go and, and you hang out and you pray and it's just away from people. It can be in your house. It can be on, on, on the back uh, porch or patio, that sort of stuff. Just this place away from the group, away from the crowd, outside of where everybody else is. This is what Jesus does. He has this time and he has this place because he is dedicated to praying. I find this to be true with uh, running. 
if I say, I'm going to run sometime this next week. I'm going to go for a run sometime this next week. I almost never will. But if I say on this date, at this time, I'm going to run this trail or this path or this, or this course, then I almost always do. There's strength, there's power, there's discipline and habit when you set a time and a place and then you plan around that. That's what he does. Very early, he gets up, makes his way out there and goes to pray in the deserted place. So let me ask you this. We all know that we're supposed to be praying and you can pray anywhere in any time. But where is it that you're going to pray and when? Are you going to pray? Where's your prayer place? When's your prayer time? I've never tried anything worth trying in which I do not face distractions. Am I the only one? You ever try to do something, you get distracted, trying to lose weight, and then there's a commercial and you're thinking, I could really go for some B-dubs right now, you know? I don't care about my diet anymore. You get distracted. Jesus is no different. Look there in verse 36. Simon... Peter and his companions, that would be his brother and the other two, went searching for him and they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. The first distraction that Jesus faces as he is praying is his friends, is his close relationships, is the people that he loves. They get up and they find him. It says the verb means to hunt him down. It was a manhunt. And this kind of makes me think that that other alternative version of the way this, the evening went where he's in a crowd and he's performing miracles and then he stood up and walked out that at some point they said, hey, where'd he go? And it was like, oh, I didn't even see him leave. Where's Jesus at? And they say, we'll go find him. We're his disciples. You know, it's been a hot minute since they've decided that they're going to follow him. And they're now his disciples. We'll go find Jesus. So they get up, they walk out and they Manhunt. They find Jesus and so they, being this close relationship, end up being a distraction to Jesus or potentially a distraction to Jesus. And look, I'm not saying anything is wrong. I'm not saying Simon or any of these people have malintent. They're not doing anything intentionally to be wrong. It's just that very often those we love, our close relationships could be distractions from what it is that God wants us to do. Have you ever gone uh, out to eat? You go out to eat, you order your food, food comes, and then the waitress or waiter comes back and you're praying. Has that ever happened to you? Your family, you know, and you catch them out of the corner of your eye and what do they do? They stand there, they start to walk up, they're gonna, but then they step back and then they pray with you, you know, like that. And that's good. I don't know what else they would do, right? They don't want to disrupt your prayer. And I don't know if they're believers or not, but they know I'm not supposed to mess this up. They step back and they relax. Peter doesn't do that. They find our God praying and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Let's go back. We got something to do. We need to go back and do this. The waitress at Salsa's is better at this than the apostle Peter. There's a distraction there. And it's not just the friends, it's not just the relationships, but it's also the urgent expectation. Speaking of everyone is looking for you, 
There were people that wanted to be healed. There were people that were bringing their loved ones and themselves and they were suffering from from illnesses and and disease and and disabilities. And they were all coming to Jesus and and Jesus was healing them. Jesus was fixing them. Not only that, but he was preaching. And the Bible says repeatedly that Jesus preached unlike anyone else has ever or will ever preach. That man preached with authority. It was gripping, it was different, it was challenging. Also, it's very clear that Jesus is charismatic, that you just wanted to be around him. He's a loving person and a kind person. You wanted to be around this person. That's what the room is filled with. That's what the house is filled with. That's what the city is buzzing about. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. They all had expectations. Hey, I came all this way to see Jesus, where's he at? Look, I brought my son who suffers in, in this way. Where's Jesus at? All of these expectations were possible distractions from what it is that Jesus was up to, what it is that Jesus was going to do. But listen, just because people have expectations on you does not mean you're bound by their expectations of you. That wasn't why Jesus came. That wasn't his Goal. Sometimes well-meaning expectations can be bad distractions in your life. You've got to stick to what it is that you're supposed to be doing. The thing, the thing to see here is that none of these distractions are bad. Please hear me on that. Simon and the, uh, there's like four disciples at this point. The other ones hadn't been called yet. So there's about four. They're not bad. They're not doing anything bad. They like Jesus. Maybe some of it was just like, hey, I want to hang out with him more. You know, that, there's nothing bad to that. And it's not bad that other people had expectations on him. It's just that sometimes and very often, and hear me on this because you have to learn it, good is very often the enemy of great. Good things are usually what's going to keep you from great things. Good distractions keep you from the best that God wants in your life. And we forget that all the time. We railroad ourselves and our churches and our lives into good enough instead of pursuing what God wants us in our lives. Jesus very clearly chooses the greater over the gooder. The deal is that Jesus isn't bothered by the distractions. He doesn't just dismiss the people or the expectations. Those are there and they're fine. It's just that he doesn't let them get them off course because prayer is part of his purpose. Jesus was uh, dedicated to prayer. He was distracted in his prayer. And what we find is that he had determination. Look at that in verse 38. It says, and he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. That's a huge phrase. This is why I've come. This is my mission. That's a huge phrase when we leave it right there in context. Back there at the house in Capernaum, at Peter's house, is a bunch of hurting and needy people. They are people that wanted Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. They had legitimate needs, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to heal people. He didn't come to to fix these things. Those things are to validate or legitimize his message. He left all of that, what we would think of as fame, what we would think of as success. He left all of that behind in order to go and spread a message. Now, most of us, most of us very pragmatically with our practical brains would be like, Jesus, you got this all wrong. Like we got something going here. 
Like you, you, wanna, you wanna pour gasoline on this fire. Everybody's here, you are a success. We could build a bigger stage. We could build a bigger room. We could make this thing cooler. We could, we could sell t-shirts and an amusement park. Jesus, we can get everybody to come up here and see you because you are a big deal. If you want somebody to tell them, tell me, I'll go, I'll go to this next neighboring town. Tell, the, tell that guy or her, She'll, they'll go and they'll share the message over there. You need to stay here. You need to build this thing bigger. What are you doing walking away? Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to be famous. I'm here to share a message. What is that message? Well, we talked about it last week and I, to me, I mean, if you just stop and think about it for a second, that very easily, undeniably, if you're not a Christian, undeniably there was a per- person who lived, his name was Jesus. Undeniably, he was massively popular. Undeniably, he could have led a coup, led a rebellion to fight against Rome. And he didn't. He didn't. Undeniably, he could have, but he did not. Why? Because he had a message to give. That wasn't the point. What was the point? That we are born and conceived broken that we are sin sick and we need a healer. And that he came to give a message that if you will repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you will trust him, then you will be healed, you'll be accepted, you'll be made right with God. That's why he came. That's the message he delivered. That's the message that I delivered to you. If you believe and you trust in Jesus, that will happen. So that's his message, that's his dedication. So then why is he praying? Why is he praying? In this light, in the prayer, in the way, How does the prayer help the mission? Why doesn't Jesus get up early? Why doesn't he leave the room? Why doesn't he tiptoe out of the house and say, I got stuff to do. We're burning daylight. We need to get some miles on these tires. We need to go. I got somewhere else to be. He stops and he prays. Isn't the prayer a distraction from what he was trying to do? No. Prayer was a necessary part of what he was doing. It was in prayer that he was rested and refueled, the natural ebb and flow that Jesus needed as he began the next leg of the trip. The Bible says that in the wilderness, in the deserted place, while he was being tempted, he was ministered to by the angels. He was fasting and presumably praying because fasting and prayer go together. In the midst of that prayer, he was ministered to, refueled, rested by the angels. I don't know about you, but helping other people is a good thing, right? We all agree, right? And when you listen, like some of you are not shaking your head. Like, I don't know, I could take it or leave it, you know? Depends on if they're in my way. Um, Helping other people. And most often we help people when we listen to them. They have a problem, we listen. Or we try to fix it, or we try to connect them. And after a while, as good as that is, after a while, it's taxing. You pick up a little bit of their burdens. You pick up a little bit and it will wear you out. I'm telling you, it will wear you down. Jesus has to pull away from that and go talk to God. Whenever I'm struggling, whenever I'm discouraged, one of the most encouraging things that I can do is talk to Jackie. We just sit there and we talk, talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. We're not actually doing anything. We're talking, but I walk away from that thing feeling better or talk to a friend or call somebody that I trust. We talk these things out and I feel better about it. Why would it be any different with prayer? Why would it be any different that you should go to God and you should talk and work it out and it be refueling and be resting? What if you were designed in that way where you need that? 
Martin Luther, the reformer, was once asked what he planned to do the following day, and he reportedly replied, work, work, from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. So much to do that I'm gonna have to pray three hours to get it all done. See, I think that this is one of the reasons that we don't pray. We don't see the value in it. We don't understand that we actually need it. That when we're praying, prayer is not just giving God a a summary of what happened the day before because he knows that. It's getting for our souls what we need for the next thing that we're about to go do, for the next steps that we're gonna follow him in. You rest and eat in order to perform physically. You study and think in order to perform mentally and you do nothing for your soul. And it dries up and it dies on the inside. And that's what prayer is. That's that rest and that refueling. Let me read to you again the text. Let's read it together as um, you just follow along with your eyes. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to the deserted place and he was praying. And Simon Peter and his brother and a couple friends went out searching for him and they found him. They said, hey, everyone's looking for you. There's expectations. We've got some good stuff going on. And he said to them, let's go on to the the next villages so that I can preach, so I can share the gospel with them there too, because that's why I've come. Here's the encouragement for you. You've You've got a calling on your life. You've got a thing that you need to do. You've got a life that's all stretched out in front of you. You need to pray. We need to pray. And I see two primary reasons why we need to pray from this text. The first one is because Jesus did. Jesus is the model. He's the mold. He's the illustration. You want to walk with God the way that Jesus did? You want to accomplish what Jesus accomplished? You want to be as close with God? You want to commune with our Father and be spiritually mature and grow as a Christian and a believer and be more like Jesus? Then you got to do what Jesus did. And Jesus prayed. You need to pray because Jesus did. You need to pray because Jesus needed to. Look, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. What we talked about last week, and yet he needed to pray. He needed, his soul needed the ministering to. He had to stop, pause, withdraw, and refuel. If he did, then you do. If Jesus needed to stop and pray, then you need to stop and to pray. When you are helping other people, when you're ministering, when you're just living your life filled with all the relationships that you have as a boss and a friend and as a parent, as, as an individual, as a student, as an athlete, all of these things that are pulling on your soul, if you need to, if Jesus needed to stop, then you need to stop. It's taxing. You need to get refueled. So I made something for you. It's a piece of paper got some words on it. I called this the second family prayer guide. Let's pray together. And what I'm going to ask you to do is until we meet again, let's pray every day together. I put a couple of little blanks on here. The first blank says, my prayer time is, and there's a blank. You're supposed to fill that in. You come up with a time, you put that in it. My prayer place is, you fill that out. I know you can just think that and plan it, but it helps to write it down. And then I put this little acronym that we use sometimes when we're learning how to pray. This is what I, what I learned on, so don't dog on it. And if you've never done it, then this is a good one. It's pray. Praise, repent, ask, 
yield. It's a little acronym there, and I, and I gave that to you, and it's got a little uh, a sentence after it to explain what it is, and I put five blanks underneath it. And some of the blanks, I put an example, all right? So for the next week, if you grab one of these, you go out these doors, and as soon as you go out those doors to the right, there's a couple stacks of these, just grab one of them. Then for the next week, we will pray together. Let's pray together, but in our own places, at our own time. Love to see what God does in and through that. One of the things that I want you to notice about it is it's ugly. I didn't design it. We didn't put our logo on it. It's not on cool paper or anything because that's not the point. I purposefully made it just so basic, so simple that if you don't have this piece of paper the next week or next year, you'll just know it. Knowing it is what matters. So let's pray together. Not right now, I'm just saying this week. <laughs> Every one of you were like, Got y'all so trained. <laughs> in Wisconsin, uh, in what was the year? 1923, they were making a lake. And so they flooded out this big swamp and they call it Lake Chippewa. I cannot hear the word Chippewa without thinking, my baby, she's a Chippewa, she's a one of a kind. I'm an Indian outlaw. Um, but anyways, it's called Lake Chippewa. You will not forget it now. And when they flooded out that swamp, there was the sediment, the things on the bottom of the swamp, of course, and a lot of that floated to the top and it floated to the top together. And there are these floating islands there in Lake Chippewa. Some of them are as small as a door, right? Just the size of a door or a parking space. Some of them are much larger. There's one that they call the 40 acre and this big floating island thing. Uh, it, it over time grew um, harder together and plants through uh, animals and, and bird seed and all that kind of stuff fell on it. And so grass and full grown trees have developed on these islands. The interesting thing about it is that these islands just float around Lake Chippewa. That big one, the 40 acre, uh, is particularly problem, uh, problematic because every year it will float over to the bridge that connects the east side and the west side of Lake Chippewa and it will block it. It'll just float up against the bridge and then you can't get across to the other side. So what they have to do every year is the locals will get together with their boats and they'll just ram their boats into the side of this little island and push it. It's about 25 boats and it takes a lot of organization and a lot of yelling and a lot of redneck willpower to get that island to where it needs to go. They said in some of the articles and the news pieces that I read that you can't just run into it and just like kind of push it and just like go out there. In fact, they, they put strategy to it and they organize in such a way that they will direct it over as far away as they can get and then they jam it into the side of land. But inevitably, through floating and um, flooding and, and sinking, it will break loose and float away and end up blocking the bridge. Every year, all the locals will move the island. It's illegal to break it apart because there's animals on it or something like that. So they just have to move it. Listen, this is how your prayer life goes. There's all sorts of things in your life that float to the top and they, con uh, they congeal, they, 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 they come together and they float around in your mind and in your heart and they create issues. They drift around in your soul and they create problems. Some of them are good, 
It's like family and friends. Some of them are bad, like baggage and insecurities. One of the things that prayer does is it resets all of that. It pushes it back into the places that it needs to be. It helps us to reset our lives on the thing that matters, to refocus on what God called us to do, to to zero in on who God is. It allows him and his word to refuel you and to rest your weary soul. That's what prayer did for Jesus, and that's what prayer can do for you. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.